Hey, welcome to the uh, Orange and Blue News podcast. Myself, uh, Jim Cotter, and Alec Bussey with you here. We're going to talk some spring football. Uh, Illinois went through four spring practices now, and uh, Jim and Alec have been there, and uh, John Supini is joining us now. I see he popped up on the screen. So, um, you know, we're going to start talking about the offense, and Alec's been watching the quarterbacks go through reps, and we only get 15 minutes of practice, the first 15 minutes, and so you can't see a whole lot. But, uh, Alec, so far, what have, you, what have you seen from the quarterback group? Well, I think it, to go back to the beginning with the quarterback room when Tony Peterson was hired, I think a lot of us during his first media availability or two, it kind of really sounded like it was going to be Brandon Peters' job to lose. And then right before spring football starts that first practice a week ago Tuesday, he kind of says some things about Brandon, about his uh, lack of vocalness and his – inability to be extroverted all the time and he and he spoke really highly of Isaiah's leadership and what I've really seen out of that group of quarterbacks is just an inability right now to uh consistently hit their targets I know Jim you've probably seen a lot of that too Isaiah struggled with it a little bit more than Brandon has and obviously accuracy is something that Isaiah has struggled with during his entire career um, I think he completed less than 50% of his passes last year at Illinois in his appearances. But you also have to think about what Isaiah was able to do in the time that he was in the game to provide a spark for Illinois. And I think that that's what probably makes him an interesting candidate for that job. The biggest knock on him in the hour of practice time we've gotten to see from Isaiah and Brandon and the rest of the team is just his inability to continually be on top of the football when he's releasing uh, when it gets over his head uh, on his release point, it tends to sail a little bit. And that's just like a, that's just like a mechanical flaw thing that if he's able to work out, I think he's got an ability to potentially be the starting quarterback. I think right now it's still Brandon's job. I think Brandon's still going through first team reps and he's been going first in every drill, every, uh, throw to the receivers, handoff to the running backs, whatever. Brandon's always been the one going through it first. But if, if Isaiah is able to get the accuracy under control and improve a few other things, maybe we have a little bit more of a true quarterback battle than a belief, I think, from a lot of us that it's a 70 to 80% chance that Brandon Peters is a starting quarterback against Nebraska in week one. Well, what, what you see a lot, Alec, in the spring is you see coaches uh, trying to create competition between – uh, between players at all the position groups. And I think that's probably what they're doing uh, with Brandon Peters. I, I think Brandon Peters is the quarterback. He's really the only quarterback that, that fits the mold that uh, Brett Bielema is going to want to run this offense. He didn't recruit any of these guys, but if he would have recruited anybody from that group, it would have been Brandon Peters. And, and uh, so, that, you know, they're trying to create some competition and, and uh, kudos to them if they can turn Brandon Peters into a vocal leader and kind of mold him teach him how to be a leader because it's that's not something that the previous regime even tried to tackle. I think they were just glad to have him, you know, being a former Gatorade player of the year out of Indiana and a tall kid who could, who could be a good pocket passer. And they didn't really ask a lot from him from a leadership standpoint. But if uh, Tony Peterson, Brad Belima can get the kid to open up a little bit and be more of a vocal leader, uh, then they've accomplished something for sure. You know, and uh, you talk about accuracy. Typical for spring also is, um, you know, spring football, uh, they throw – these guys, they throw enough to keep their arm in good shape, but uh, t you're not going to have good timing in the spring, uh, not until maybe the last few days of spring practice. And 
and really when you start fall camp, you see a lot of the same thing. Just don't have the timing down with the wideouts. It takes, it takes about a week or two really to get that rolling. So, I, you know, I wouldn't read too much into the lack of accuracy from the, from the QBs at this point. Uh, uh, John, uh, I would like you to talk a little bit about Isaiah Williams you know, what do you think the long-term plan for this kid is going to be? And are they finally going to sit down and talk to him and and uh, and uh, talk to him about how he can maybe make it at the next level and what role he can play uh, at Illinois and rather than just standing on the sideline holding the clipboard? You would think that uh, the, the the new staff is going to step forward and attack, tackle that conversation. That's the, that's the elephant in the room. Um, he, these guys didn't recruit him, so they're going to be up front. And I think that they're they're probably gonna they're gonna have to, to say something here, with I don't know maybe not this spring but maybe this fall whenever it's gonna if it is Peter's job like it appears to be they're they're gonna want to get the kid on the field and get the and get the ball to him and sooner or later they got to have the conversation that look if if you're gonna make it to the next level it's not gonna be a quarterback it's gonna be somewhere else so there's a reason why all the all the powerhouses recruited him for something else besides quarterback um, so. I, Sooner or later, they're, they're going to have to talk to, to, the, to, to Isaiah. They're probably going to talk to his parents. They're probably going to talk, talk to whoever they, whoever the influ, influences are with the kid and just make that move. Um, they, they probably don't have to do it really. They don't have to push it too hard right now because he is the number two. But sooner or later, you got to sit down and have the conversation with the kid because you got to have him on the field. Everybody saw how much he got done last year when he, when he got the ball in his hands. So you got to have him on the field. Was it Rutgers when he he broke the school record for rushing yards by a quarterback? He's he is dynamic with the ball in his hands. You you can't have that kind of playmaker standing there watching, you know, and tracking plays for the offensive coordinator. It's it's silly. And I think Isaiah's somebody's got to get that in his head that that uh, if he really wants to be on the field, he's going to have to play a different position. Um, Jim wrote an wrote an article today about the wide receiver core really thin group here uh, and how, how Illinois can maybe bolster that, you know, go either, whether it's either moving somebody from another position or going to the transfer portal and looking for somebody at, the, at wide receiver. But what, what have you seen from that group uh, in your 15 minutes uh, practice, Jim? And, you know, what do you think they need to add? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, I was going to say, you've got to have guys to throw to these guys the quarterbacks and the cupboard's a little bare right now. You've got uh high tower, you've got Donnie Navarro and really nobody else has got a whole lot of experience. You lost quite a bit with uh, Trayvon Sidney going to the transfer portal and Josh Imator Bebe going uh, to uh, train for the NFL. But uh, you've got, you know, several guys that, have a little experience. You've got, you know, Carlos Sandy, Dalevon Campbell, Kyron Cumby, uh, and the guys like that. And then Caleb Griffin, who uh, has been a place kicker through uh, his first two years. Now he's in his third year, and uh, they are trying him at wide receiver part-time. They're, uh, he's starting with the kickers, but then he's coming over, getting his ankles taped, and then running with the receivers for a while. So, but you know, Caleb is a multi-talented uh, four-sport four athlete from Danville, and uh, you know whether or not he can, you know, 
play wide receiver at this level remains to be seen. But, uh, but then, you know, don't forget the tight ends. You've got Daniel Barker and Luke Ford. Uh, so, I mean, you know, they're going to, they're going to have people to throw to us. Just how good are these guys? I mean, cause you've got uh, Jafar Armstrong coming in as a transfer. He'll be here probably this summer. And uh, it's just, you know, uh, a myriad of, uh, things to consider right now with uh, this group. Yeah, you mentioned the tight ends, and it seems like forever, at least as long as I've been following Illinois football, and that's been back to the late 1970s, forever we've been, we've been asking the question, are they finally going to throw to the tight end? Uh, and you look back and think of all the tight ends they had that went on to, the, to have a good NFL career after only catching a few passes at, at Illinois. And they have, a, they have two guys that are probably going to play in the NFL, and Daniel Barker and uh, Luke Ford. Uh, uh, Alec, have, have you watched the tight end group in your, in your uh, few minutes? And, and uh, what, do you, what do you think of that group? And do you think they're finally going to throw to the tight end? I think you're going to have to throw to the tight end, Doug. When you look at what they, what they have at the wide receiver room, I think you have to look at what Daniel Barker has given Illinois in the passing game in the last couple of years. And, I think I'm pretty confident in saying that Daniel Barker is probably Illinois' best pass catcher or at least most proven pass catcher on the roster right now. Um, in the last two years, he's combined for uh, looks like 18 receptions in 2019, 19 receptions in 2020, so close to 40 receptions. He's got over 500 combined receiving yards, and he's got six touchdowns in the last two years. He's going to have to be involved in the passing game. And if you get him involved with the passing game, and Tony Peterson said he wants to run a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends. And that opens the door up to see Luke Ford on the field a lot more. I think his PFF numbers only had him on the field around 30% of Illinois' offensive snaps last year. So I think if you're able to get Ford on the field and more run blocking schemes and all that stuff, I think that's really important for him. And uh, if, if Ford's able to get involved in the passing game a little bit here and there and develop more in that area, I think that's going to be huge for Illinois because he only had a couple of receptions last season. And once he's able to really potentially get involved in that aspect of Illinois' offensive attack through the air, I think it gives them just another person that they're going to need to throw the football to. Because even a Jafar Armstrong who's coming in from Notre Dame, like he's not a proven threat, especially on the outside. And as Jim kind of hit on, like they don't have a lot of guys at wide receiver that they feel comfortable throwing the football to. I think right now, Delvon Campbell's probably the second best outside threat. They're giving a good look at Kamari Thompson, the director from Missouri, but the previous staff moved him to defensive back over concerns around his ability as a wide receiver. He's gotten moved back to wide receiver. So getting good production out of Daniel Barker and Luke Ford in the fall of 2021 as pass catchers, but also as blockers is going to be huge for this team because they're going to really try and run the football a lot. What? Personally, I don't. I don't know what to make of the underuse of Luke Ford. You know, I've been. We've been watching this kid since he attended rivals camps, going back to his junior year in high school. You know, coming out of Southern Illinois, and and physically, he's he's just a beast. You know, he just his physical skills scream NFL tight end. But then, you know, in the spread offense under uh, Rod Smith, the offensive coordinator, he just didn't see the field, and they they hardly ever threw him the ball. I think maybe he had one catch or something like that. But uh, you watch him go through drills, and he's big, he's fast, he's strong. He's the best blocker out of the tight end group. So, so hopefully, you know, uh, this new regime 
uh, is going to mold him and and coach him up and throw him football because he's because uh, physically he's he's a stud and and uh, you, you got to really uh, get him on the field a little bit more and throw him the ball. You know, um, when I first started covering Illinois about ten years ago, the Jeff Johnson, who was a publisher before me, he always said he thinks Illinois can get skill position guys. They can score enough points. They can they can get quarterbacks but they're not going to win until they get NFL type uh, defensive linemen. And, and I happen to agree with that. And, and um, uh, I think they have a pretty decent group of defensive linemen, you know, but w- what are some of the keys, John, up, for, up front there for, for these guys? I mean, you have uh, some guys who play a little bit, but um, they're going to be playing a different style, a three, probably a three, four front uh, on defense. And uh, uh, talk about that a little bit, John, and, and how important it is to have uh, NFL types up front. Well, yeah, to me, the the one thing I want to see uh, soon is how much these guys have changed their bodies and how these guys are going to um, adapt to playing outside, basically stand-up defensive ends. That's a, that's a, a switch for some of these guys. I think um, they're going to have to get something out of, out of Isaiah Gay out there. Um, I don't know if, if, if Carney's going to work out there like we talked about, Doug, but to me, that's an interesting position. I'm interested to see what, what Newton can do in, in his second year. And I, I'm still hoping that they, they maybe get something out of Perry, Perry and, and, um, and Avery in, in the middle. So I, to me, they, they've, yeah, the big difference of the big difference, it seems like even between the big 10 and the sec is the athletic defensive lineman that they have in the South. I mean, I, you see how those guys run, see how those guys move. And it's just not what we have up here. And until Illinois can get a line like that, that's when they're going to make a big jump. So it's going to probably be a, that's probably a long-term project, but I'd like to see some of these guys take a big step forward this year. And it's the younger guys, you know, to me, it's, it's like the guy like Newton. I'd li- I really like to see him develop into something. Yeah. I think it's right now, it's just a little bit of putting uh, uh, square pegs in round holes at that rush linebacker position, moving those guys. Isaiah Gay spent three years, trying to beef up his body so he could play weak side defensive end in a 4-3. Now he's talking, they're talking about, oh, you got to, you have to get leaner and faster and, and rush the quarterback off the edge, standing up on two feet. So we'll see if that's going to work or not. You know, I, I think the one guy out of those five that they moved to the outside linebacker spot that fits the best is probably uh, Seth Coleman. You know, he's a long, lean guy. He looks like, he looks like a rush linebacker. Uh, he has that kind of skill set, and, and uh, he's he's probably the guy I think to watch uh, this year. But um, you know, Calvin Calvin Avery, you know, the Lovey Smith regime harped on him constantly about his about losing weight and getting in better shape. And and to me, a nose tackle, you want a guy around three twenty, three thirty who can move. You know, and I was surprised actually that he hasn't transferred back to his home state of Texas and played in a defense where they might appreciate his skill set because for for a guy you know that's that's 335 pounds he can he can move and uh, but they never really gave him a chance to play ever down here and hopefully maybe that's something that that he'll get to do uh, under with the new defense uh, let, let's shift gears to the linebacker core everybody's hurt so uh, uh, Jim talk about that group a little bit what have you seen and what are some of the keys and and uh, have you heard anything about the health of these guys and when they're going to be coming back well not really uh, you're right there are a lot of guys that are currently out you know you've got you know Kalen Tolson Tariq Barnes the guy stand by us from last year and uh, you mentioned uh, 
well, Sean Coggle and Mark Mondes here is two, are two more, but uh, you're you're in need of some more talent. You know, Illinois is linebacker you for a reason. So, but uh, right now they don't really have a whole lot of uh, thing, you know, cards to play with right now. Yeah, uh, jumping on that, John, what, what, what do you think of the linebacker core? You know, uh, Tariq Barnes was kind of a breakout player for him, had, had a, one really, really good game when he stepped mm-hmm. in for uh, an injured player and had a great game and, and then kind of went back to the bench after that. But uh, what, what do you think of the linebacker core? Is this a group that's going to fit with the, with the 3-4 front? It's, it sounds like it's going to be a solid, maybe a solid group, but not outstanding. Um, I think that the, the heart pickup was was key to to get a solid guy in there that they can that they can really kind of lean on. It was to me the, the to me the Hanson thing came out of nowhere. I didn't I didn't know what was going to happen with that, and I think that was a another thing that helps solidify that unit a little bit. And you, when you go back to those head scratchers, I, we talked all last year about why didn't Barnes play more, you know, and. It, 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 that's a guy that that's that's on my radar. I want to see what kind of season he can have, and uh, I think you know Jake Hansen is a great solid. You know he's a solid guy. He's a playmaker, and and I think Hart's going to really really fit in well here. So I think the linebacker core is is, is solid, but not spectacular. Yes, Shimon Cooper so far I think has been a little a little bit disappointing that he hasn't been able to get on the field, and a lot of that has to do with with the being a smallish, I mean, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't really look like a big 10 linebacker yet. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's pretty lean. Looks like, looks more like a safety than a linebacker, but um, you know, the secondary, um, they moved Tony Adams back to corner, uh, more of a natural position for him. He, and he feels a lot better out, out on the edge than he did at safety position. Uh, Alec, talk about that group. I know they, they lost Nate Hobbs, who was a four-year starter for him at, at the uh, field side corner. But the, what, what have you seen out of the DBs in the first few days? My big takeaway with the defensive back room, especially the corners, just because they're easier to see with where they have us media members watching with COVID. We're all stuck on the west side and the – Safeties tend to work more in the middle of the field, but with the corners, there's a lot of energy in that group. They seem to be doing a lot more press coverage, working on press coverage stuff a lot more in practice. There seems to be a lot more contact, even with, even without pads. They're handy with each other, and I think that's good to see because they didn't play a lot of press coverage, and it left a lot of their defensive backs on islands in the past couple of years under Lovey. and I think that getting these guys in an opportunity where they can be a little bit more physical and they're not in one-on-one situations as much could really benefit them. Uh, Marquez Beeson's obviously a name that everyone wants to hear a lot about. He, he's had his good moments in spring and the few, in the few minutes that we've had a chance to watch of them. I will say that on Tuesday of this week, he, when we were watching, he was sitting on a training table. It looked like he had an icy hot patch or some sort of other patch on his lower back. And then he had an ice pack placed on there and he was wrapped up. So my guess is he was probably done after that. Um, so I'll be intrigued to see he, if he's in a green jersey on Thursday and if he practices on Saturday, which is sounds like it's going to be a scrimmage on Saturday, according to what Bielema said today on Wednesday. Uh, Devin Witherspoon's a guy, I think, who is maybe one of the more surprising, like, good players on this Illinois roster when you think about his story and how he ended up getting to Illinois. He's always a player to me who plays hard, isn't afraid to 
make a big hit, isn't afraid to put his head in the fan. And then Tony Adams being back at corner just gives this group a kind of another safety blanket, I think, at corner, which is really important. And it gives them a little bit more depth at that position because they don't have to play a freshman or they don't have to play an inexperienced sophomore. But then when you look at safety, I think it's really important for Sidney Brown to have a good year. I mean, he was an All-Big Ten honorable mention in 2019 and when Illinois went to the Rose Bowl. And then last year, he took a really big step back. His PFF numbers did not look good, did not fare well really throughout the entire season. They need him to play well. It's a strong safety. And Eddie Smith, the Alabama transfer, isn't on campus yet. But assuming he's able to clear through all that stuff as expected, he's going to be really important at their free safety spot too. Yeah, you know, I think there's a uh, – you have a lot of DBs coming in and uh, true freshmen. I think there's two of them have to have a chance to play right away. And uh, the first one, Keontae Curry, the kid out of Florida that was a late addition to the class. You know, uh, kudos to uh, Brett Bilima for, for uh, landing this kid because I think, I think he's got a chance to step on the field and play early. And he's probably the best defensive player in, in the recruiting class. Uh, and then – uh, another kid that has a chance to come in uh, and, and play really early, um, Joriel Washington, and he's there now uh, as an early uh, early enrollee, and he plays plays safety, and he's got a chance to play early. He's rangy kid. I don't know about his speed, but he he's a you know he can go from sideline to sideline, and he's a good overall athlete. So, so I, you know, and then Daniel Edwards, uh, another Florida corner will be here for fall camp and another guy who's who probably has a chance to step in and get in the two deep right away for Illinois. Um, the thing to remember too though with uh, Washington is that he's not participating in spring ball. He had to get surgery on a just on something he came in with. I, I don't know exactly what it was but he got to get surgery so he's not participating in spring ball so they're hoping to get him available in the fall for training camp. Right and it, you know um uh, losing uh, Nate Ho- Nate Hobbs, you know, who's that four-year starter, is, g- is going to hurt him quite a bit, I think. And, but they got to find a, another corner to plug in there opposite to- Tony Adams, and depth is going to be a, a problem for him. You know, def- defense, uh, they hired a defensive coach, Lovey Smith, and then the, the defense was some of the worst defenses we've ever seen at Illinois under the Lovey regime. You know, how much of a – John, how much of a hole are they in you know, talent-wise, on the defensive side of the ball, and, and can they can they stop teams enough to to uh, you know uh, to win some games this year? Well, that's still the, the that's still the big um, that's still the big hurdle to climb. I mean, they they've got to they, they've got to rebuild that defense, and yeah, it's it's amazing that it's amazing that how far the defense even slid under Lovey. And it's also amazing that Lovey left here and got a defensive coordinator job in the NFL. <laughs> it's just uh, it, it, living off a of reputation, but uh, yeah, they're going to, they're going to have to, to me, I think they're probably going to hit the portal this spring after the, all, all the spring football stuff shakes out and see what they can add in the f- defensive backfield and see if there's somebody out there that they can add up front. But yeah, that, that's the big um, that's the big makeover on this team. They've already got an offense that's got pieces, a lot of pieces, um, except for maybe wide receiver. But the defense, I mean, that was I've seen I've watched a lot of Illinois football, and that's the defense has been these defenses the last couple of years have been some of the worst I've seen. Well, hopefully we don't have to ever speak the words uh, cover two again. Hopefully that that's been put to rest, and we well we, cover two and Miles Smith. 
Yeah. There you go. And two things you you don't want to hear for sure. Uh, is Miles? Doesn't he have a job now in the NFL? Yeah, he's yeah. with Lovey at Houston. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> anyway, we won't go down that road. But uh, you know, um, one one thing about the the, the um, Lovey Smith era. Uh, what was the the defensive scheme and how, how much of it was scheme and how much of it was was personnel and you know is is uh do they have more talent than what they showed the last last few seasons Jim do you think they got enough talent on that side of the ball uh that's that's a good question at uh, some points I think that you know that the talent you know we've we've talked about guys like you know Calvin Avery uh, Isaiah Gay, guys that have the potential. You know, Avery's certainly built to play uh, at the Power Five level, but he really hasn't uh, materialized. And then you've got your linebackers, and of course, the defensive backs. So, I mean, it's it's all what the other schools are doing in terms of you know getting talent. Can you stack that talent? Because They've got enough, uh, you know, guys in the defensive side, especially guys that have come back like Tony Adams. And then you got Jake Hansen that uh, isn't participating in spring drills, but he'll be back for the fall. But uh, can they do it? Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a question right now of uh, what kind of talent are you going to bring in to mix with these guys to make them that much better? It seemed like it seemed like with Lovey, he was always just making, you know, trying to fill holes, trying to, to put the finger in the dike, trying to stop the the the, the flood from happening, and it, it it was a cycle that they never caught up with. And I just I would like to see um, the new the new era, the new coach, just recruit the state, get some more high school players, get a base going to where you're not. You know, you're just maybe adding a couple transfers to to fill a little bit of need, not not basing your whole recruiting setup on on how many transfers can you get. You know, what, was, gets really, what was amazing, John, to me is that Lovey was here what five years? Is that right? Five years, and and um, never got a clue that that maybe how he did it in the NFL 15 years ago wasn't going to work in the big 10 never made any changes to the to the scheme um you know and uh, scheme was a lot of it the, we talked about the cover too but the middle of the field for five years they, they kept picking up on the middle of the field against illinois and everybody knew that's how you could move the football uh, and i think that lovey just thought that um coming from the nfl and coaching uh, you know a super bowl defense that, that he could just uh, take just about any players and be successful on defense at Illinois and found out the hard way it wasn't true and uh, now he's gone. So, but uh, we're saving the best position group. I think the best position group for last and that's uh, the running back position. And uh, Brett Belima, you got a real clue on what he wants to do with this offense when he uh, addressed the run, uh, running back depth right out of the gate and went out and got Chase Hayden, a, a kid that he recruited to Arkansas when he was there. And now, um, they have three running backs that you feel good about uh, in the backfield. And not, not many teams can, can say that. I mean, the, the Ohio States and the Alabamas of the world can say that they can go three and four deep at running back and not miss a beat. But uh, Illinois is in that position right now, I think, with Chase Hayden, Reggie Love, the, the uh, big-time recruit out of St. Louis Trinity. And um, the starter uh, last year, um, 
what, what the heck, what's his name? Chase Brown. Chase Brown. Yeah, how could I forget Chase Brown? Chase Brown, and uh, you know, another talented running back, really good in between the tackles. Uh, when he gets out in open space, he's got a lot of speed about him. Uh, so they can plug any one of those three guys in there and not and not miss anything. And they're running behind a veteran offensive line. So, uh, have you seen a depth uh, depth chart, uh, Jim, in, in those 15 minutes? Uh, who, who are who's getting the ball? Um, you know, to start out with, and, and what's the depth chart look like at running back? I'd say right now you're looking at Chase Brown <clears throat> getting going to get a, a lot of the carries. Uh, Chase Hayden obviously will. The the curious thing I'm wondering is what's going to happen with Mike Epstein. He's not currently with the team, still rehabbing uh, various injuries. It would have been nice to see what a healthy Mike Epstein would have done. I know he's been beset by injuries most of his Illinois career, which is a shame. Kind of reminds me of the Mike Dudek situation to where, you know, he, he never realized his full potential. And he still has a chance to come back, but whether or not his body's going to allow him to do that. But, you know, like you said, there's there's a wealth of talent back there. Uh, and, of course, you got Josh McCray coming in, too. That's going to be a true freshman. So, uh, you know, and whether or not there's enough carries for everybody is, you know, it's, it's a good problem to have, I guess. I think with the running back room, you look at a guy like Reggie Love, and, Doug, I know you've been really high on him, and obviously for good reason. He's the type of back that Brett – Bielema has had a lot of success with in his college days. I mean, he's someone who has some good burst, but he's also got some good size to him. He's able to run over some people, and he's able to still get separation and get downfield. So when Chase Brown wasn't at practice on Tuesday, and I'll be intrigued to see if he's there tomorrow on Thursday, uh, Reggie Love is getting a lot of the first-team reps, and that's that should make Illinois fans feel really good about that get because it was a really good get at the time, and he's a kid who, like I said, is – got a good skill set at running back. And if he's going to be getting a good amount of carries, he only got 12 carries last year as a true freshman or only got 10 carries for 12 total yards or something, which obviously isn't like great. Uh, but getting him along, I think is something that should make Illinois fans feel good about. And if he's our third running back behind Chase Brown and uh, Mike Epson, if he were to come back, and even Chase Hayden, like if that's if that's your three four group of running backs, like that's a pretty good group to have because you know that Chase Brown's going to be a good bell cow guy, and you can filter in there with Chase Hayden, you can filter in there with um, Reggie Love too when needed as well. John, they got the horses up front to make some holes for these guys. Um, you got some veteran offensive linemen coming back. Uh, running backs are good, but are they going to have some room to run? I think they will, and I think the the, the... The key is, is your quarterback going to balance the offense enough to keep defenses honest? And I think, I think Peters will be able to do that. And I think they're, I think they're not going to be flashy, but I think they're going to be, um, I think Peterson's going to get, get some yards out of, out of the running backs. I think they've got a good, a good offensive line, uh, experienced offensive line. They just got to fill that one hole. And I think they're going to be able to move the ball. They're gonna. They do need some. They need to need need to find another wide receiver or two. But if they can, if they can talk Williams into playing another position, and they get some, I think they're going to be able to move the ball. Uh, to me, it's still can they outscore the other team because their team's going to score some points. You, you know, talking about Brandon Peters, and I, you know, I think this offense is going to be better for him. Yeah, you know, the the offense that Rod Smith ran, which is really the Rich Rodriguez offense. You know the 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 spread option attack. 
they were, you know, they put so much on the, on the um, shoulders of the quarterback position, you know, every, every play uh, he had to make ser- several reads, uh, you know, and, and the wide receiver and the quarterback both had to be making the same reads and be on the, the same page. And uh, often that often they weren't, and I think Brandon Peters was thinking a little bit too much back there. Um, in this offense, all he's going to have to do is deliver the ball, you know, accurately and on time, and, and they're going to be able to move the football. You know, and we we asked Rod Smith several times, if you remember, you know, uh, about targeting certain guys because there were certain guys who were not getting the ball. You know, the, uh, Josh uh, Imadabebe wasn't being thrown to as much as he was the previous year. The tight ends weren't getting, weren't getting the football. And uh, Rod told us that, you know, the offense is designed to go through your reads and through your progressions. That's who gets the football. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't run plays for Josh uh, Matabebe. They, run, they didn't run plays for, for uh, Luke Ford. I think that's going to be different now. They're going to run plays for the playmakers and get the ball in the, in the right hands. And that's going to be a lot easier for Brandon Peters and, and a lot off of his shoulders, I think. So um, what, what do you think about this team in the fall? You know, personally, I've never been all that impressed with the Big Ten West division. Um, I think it's a, it's a division where you can compete if you have a pretty good team. Uh, and the schedule is a manageable schedule this year for Illinois, unlike the COVID year where they had to play all Big Ten teams. Uh, you know, the easy wins were off the schedule for them. So they were kind of put in a hole right from the beginning. But uh, I, can see, I can see six wins on this schedule. Uh, Jim, what, what do you think about the Illini this fall? Yeah, I think you're right, Doug. I mean, it's uh, definitely the non-conference schedule is very manageable. And, you know, the fact that you start the season at home against Nebraska rather than in Ireland, I think helps in Illinois' case because, you know, uh, but, you know, a new coach coming in, you really don't know what to expect. Bielham is a proven winner. He's been, you know, took Wisconsin to several, you know, bowl appearances while he was up there, but you, you really can't tell what's going to happen. And it, but then, you know, you've got, uh, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I, you know, I, I could definitely see six wins on this schedule. It just is a matter of, uh, are they going to be able to put the pieces together enough to make that happen? And, you know, and I don't want to sound too much like a cheerleader, but uh, uh, John, John has a column right now on the front page um, that, talks a lot about how Brett Bielema has, has uh, learned from all the stops on, in his coaching career and learned from some of the uh, best coaches at college level and then in, in the NFL, you know, with, with Belichick. And, and um, he, he, he doesn't seem like the same guy he was when he was coaching in Wisconsin. Uh, do you see the same thing, John? Uh, the, uh, the guy seems to have learned on the job and has a really good idea on how to lead a program. He seems to be really confident right now. You know, I think that's, that's always been, a, um, sometimes I think that's probably been, people thought it was a knock against him because he was overconfident, but it seems like he come, he's come in, he's done and said the right things, the things that you really expected him to do, but he's also done some interesting things. Like he, he wants to continue coaching up the coaches. So he can, like, he, like he's, like we talked about, he's coaching from the top down and to me, he's been around the block. He's, he's, he's won the games. He's won championships. He's won conference championships. But he's also, you know, he, he got, you know, I don't say knocked down to size, but he, he struggled at Arkansas and it didn't work and he lost his job. So I think that made him go, go kind of 
go back to the, to, to the square one and rebuild himself. He, he made a smart move to go up and work with Belichick. And I see a hungry guy that knows this is his last, probably his last power five job if he, if he doesn't get it right. So I think he's going to, he's going to do everything he can. He's, he's really motivated and, you know, he's coming back to his home state. So I see a guy that when, when I first saw this hire, I, I wasn't, I don't know what I thought about it. And it didn't really strike me as, as, you know, as inspiring, but now I, the more I've watched what he's been doing and, and, and seen how he's gone about things, I, I'm getting kind of excited for this hire. I think this, you know, maybe this is the one that works. I've seen a lot of coaches, a lot of football coaches come through this thing. Maybe this is the one that works. And if it doesn't work, uh, what, um, you know, how does that impact Josh Whitman? Because that'll be two in a row doesn't, that didn't work. He, you know, he, he took a big gamble hiring Lovey Smith and people, people who hadn't been around uh, Lovey Smith or watched the teams that he's coaching, they thought it was, you know, a big name hire, a big splash hire, and he would instantly be a great recruiter. But then people that have followed his career and really followed uh, NFL football closely uh, didn't like the hire uh, when it was made. Uh, it, you know, how does this impact Josh Whitman's career at Illinois if it doesn't work out with Brad uh, Bielema? Well, you know, um, usually they say that the NAD gets two shots at hiring a football coach. At Illinois, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit different because – you just look at the graveyard of coaches that have come through here and this hasn't worked for, for anybody dating back to Makovic long, you know, when you say worked long term. So it seems like the upper administration really, really approves of what Josh is doing. So maybe they give him, if this one doesn't work, maybe they give him another chance or two. I, it seems like they really like what he's doing. So I don't know if this is his last chance at a, at a football hire. Um, but I, I just think I'd like to uh, – Maybe this is the one that works. You know, like you said, the, the, the Big Ten West isn't that tough. Just build a, a solid football team. Try to cut down on your mistakes. Try not to lose the game before you can get a chance to win it and see if they can string some, some decent seasons together and, and get some recruits. They're, they got to find a pipeline somewhere. You know, Bill was talked about recruiting downstate Illinois. There's not a ton of, of Big Ten players in, south of I-80. So – you got to find a pipeline somewhere. I, you know, he's had some experience in Chicago. See if he can get some guys out of Chicago, but he's not going to live there. He, he's going to have to find something somewhere to, whether it's Texas, whether it's Florida or wherever, he's going to find something to get him here. Yeah, I think as long as the basketball team is is uh, winning and they're top five yeah. in the country and they're getting they're getting number one seeds, Josh Whitman's not going anywhere. So, so it's a basketball school, and and that that's uh, what gets everybody fired up about Illinois. Uh, football, if they're good, okay, great, they're good. But uh, it's, yeah, it, it's it, basketball. Good is a relative term here too. If you're, exactly. if you're seven and five or or eight and four, you know that's a heck of a year, and you're you're giving everybody raises, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's a basketball school, and it always has been, and it probably always will be. And he's got things rolling on that side. So this, I think he's. I think Josh Whitman has a lot of um of um room to work with at this point. He's, he's, he's built a lot of, of goodwill with the, with the upper administration. So I don't see this being his last shot at football. And, you know, I, I, I think maybe this is the one that works. Well, we got three old guys here and we got one college student. Um, so Alec has his uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on on the campus. And I know 
uh, I, I know the, that the student body was really excited about the basketball team, uh, but that student section that they built several years ago on the, you know, in the end zone at Memorial Stadium, sometimes I, I'll take a picture from the press box because it's so sparse over there. I know students are all probably in the bars watching the game. It's a better place to be for them. Uh, what's, what's the buzz on campus now, Alec? Is it, did the new coaching hire resonate with, with the student body? Um, to put it politely, I just don't think kids care about Illinois football until there's a reason for them to care about Illinois football. I mean, I'll, I'll think back to my sophomore year before I was brought on board here and kids started to kind of get a little bit of excited during that four game win streak and they clinch a bowl game and they beat Michigan state and come back 28 to three and all the drama that was around that and kids cared about the bowl game. But even entering this year, like there wasn't a whole lot of excitement around it. So once you give students a reason to be excited, I think they will be. Uh, I think that there's a understanding that, like you said, it's a basketball school. And as long as the basketball team's good, that students are going to be happy and students are going to enjoy it. And students got swept up in basketball this year. And the campus was in a somber mood after the upset to Loyola Chicago and getting a football program to just get to like five to seven wins on a yearly basis would probably make the student body pretty happy here. <laughs> not that I'm going to be here for a long, hopefully not too much longer because I don't want to be on the five year, six year plan. Uh, but I do think that getting a football program to a five, five to seven wins a year would do a lot for the energy around the program. As long as the basketball program's making the tournament every year, I think the students are going to be pretty pleased with, with the Illini athletic department. Well, Alec, you know, you talk about the, the, the student body. It's, it's kind of the same way with, with us old folks. Outside of Champaign County, Illinois football's got to win some games before people drive all the way over there and go to a game. So, you know, when I covered for Springfield and Peoria, I would talk to guys in Peoria and Springfield, hey, you come to the game? Nah, they, they'd come up with a string of excuses. Got to gotta rake the leaves, got to do this or that, because they were losing. If you give them a couple wins, people will, will get in the car and come over. And it's the same, you know, sooner or later, you got to win to fill the seats. And that's fair. And you can't complain at a fan base for not wanting to go watch a football team that doesn't win more than five mm -hmm. games a year on a consistent mm -hmm. basis. At the end of the day, it's that simple. Especially when I can sit at home on my couch and watch nine games at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> same thing, especially when the weather sucks, too. And it often sucks during the football season in Champaign, Illinois, that, that wind whipping through Memorial Stadium. Why sit there and freeze your ass off when you can watch it at home uh, and drink a beer? But, uh, you know, I remember um, that stadium used to seat to over 75,000 people. And I remember when they were selling it out for, for like uh, three straight years. Uh, and they were ready to build a statue for Mike White. Uh, and he had one great year, the 84 team that went to the Rose Bowl. The others were, were a, a pretty mediocre. But that, that first bowl game that they went to, the Liberty Bowl against Alabama, which was uh, the, the last game for, for the legendary head coach at Alabama, uh, people were just crazy about Illinois football just making it to the Liberty Bowl. And I think that was the first bowl in a long time for them. So mm -hmm. it, it doesn't take much, you know, to get – Illinois has a, a loyal – but small football fan base, and they can sell out a stadium of, you know, a 50, a 55,000 or whatever it seats now. I mean, who, renovate, who renovates their stadium and downsizes it? They, you know, but, uh, you know, that says something about your program when you're doing that. But uh, I think that's going to wrap it up, guys. And, uh, you know, um, hope we said some stuff that the fans uh, are interested in. 
Um, thanks for coming on, John, Alec, and Jim. Uh, we'll do it again here sometime soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you guys.